So, how are we doing today? Are we good? Anybody in the building? Hello? Are we doing good? Yeah? All right. Uh, this is some of the stuff that we did on Tuesday night when we were praying together in here. As people get a kind of scripture or a prophetic word, sometimes if I'm there and I'm moved by the Spirit, I'll get the pen out and begin putting things up on the board so that we can kind of get some clarity about what it is the Lord's saying. So today, we are going to look at Philippians chapter 2 and verse 5 and following. So I'd like you to get that out right now so that we can begin preparing our hearts and minds for that. But we're going to do something slightly different today. I know that we are all becoming familiar with this idea of working with the Word collectively, collaboratively, interactively, and that's hugely important. And today we're going to do that slightly differently because um, what I'm going to do is I'm going to get the microphones that are normally run through the congregation, and I'm going to put them at the end of that aisle and the end of that aisle. And um, at the point after, it's going to be quite a long introduction because I need to do some teaching so that you can kind of get an idea of what it is that God wants to say through this passage. I'm going to give a pause then and give you an opportunity to think and reflect. And if there are any comments or questions that you'd like me to think through, come and put it on the mic. Now, the microphone's got this little grip that you can move it up and down. And um, maybe if you can't move it, I'll help you. But um, the, the idea is that we're continuing this idea of understanding that we're discovering things in the scriptures but also I'm taking responsibility, of course, for my role as the teacher and preacher here. And sometimes when you look at a passage, you think it's more about explanation than exploration. You need to do a little bit of explanation as well as the exploration. Do you see what I mean? And so I'm doing a little bit of the explanation today. All right, let's do it then. Let's read from Philippians chapter 2 and verse 5. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. <coughs> Excuse me. So, some important things here about this passage. This is a passage, of course, written by Paul to the church that he first planted in Europe. The very first church that he planted in Europe is in the city of Philippi. And he's now under house arrest in Rome, and he's writing back to this church and several others. And one of the, one of the things about this period in Paul's life 
is that it's a very productive period. When he's under house arrest, it's enormously productive for him and the work of the kingdom because the Lord uses this time to ensure that he inspires him with revelation and understanding that he writes to the churches that become a huge portion of the New Testament. Probably during this time with his friend Luke, who was part of his team, there's about two-thirds of the New Testament that's being formed and formulated. So it's enormously important. Other letters are written at other points and at other times, but, um, but this is a hugely important period in the history of God's people. And here's Paul. He's writing to this church that's very close to his heart, who've sent him a big gift, big financial gift, to support him in house arrest and to partner with him as he continues his ministry, which he fully expects will be continued. Maybe it won't be, but he thinks that it will be, and he'll go on a fourth missionary journey to Spain and, uh, and beyond. And all of the indications are that that's actually what happened. He was released after this house arrest by Caesar, and he went on another uh, missionary journey that's not recorded uh, very fully in the, uh, in the words of the New Testament, but certainly indications uh, are there in the text. So, he's writing back to this church, and he's using all kinds of resources to write to them. And one of the resources that he's using to write back to them are the songs that are beginning to emerge among the New Testament churches. The New Testament churches would gather as part of a household. They would eat together. During that meal, they would share bread and wine in remembrance of Jesus. And different people would interact with the gathering there, bringing their gifts, bringing their insights, bringing their exhortations. And as that gathering was, was sharing in this revelation of the Lord, they would read the Psalms and sing songs that were kind of being inspired by the presence of the Holy Spirit among them. And one of those songs is the words that we've just read. All of the New Testament scholars, like 99.9% .9 of them, reckon that these words that we've just read are the words of an early Christian hymn that celebrate the person of Jesus and the work of Jesus in what it is that he's come to do. He's the son of God. He's taken on human flesh. He's set aside the glory and the majesty of heaven. And he comes among us not using his status as the son of God to get people to listen to him. Rather, he comes in the mode of a servant, sharing what it is that God is giving to him as he's walking in the role of a servant. And as he does that, he gives us a model of what it's like for you and me to function in the same fashion, listening to the Lord and then doing what it is that the Lord asks us to do. And so Jesus becomes not simply our master, but he becomes our model. And as he chooses the path of servanthood, of course, he comes to give the ultimate service, which is to reconnect us to God and the Father's heart. And he does that by paying the penalty for our sin, 
for our lostness, for our alienation. And in paying the penalty of our sin, which is separation from God, which means death, Jesus dies on our behalf. And in that death, pays the penalty for all of humanity because he's taken on human form and human nature. He's paid the penalty for all of, all of, the, all of the sin of humanity. And then in his resurrection, demonstrates the life that God has for all those who will come to him and receive the gift that Jesus has offered in his death. After the resurrection, Jesus is taken up into heaven and as he's raised into heaven, ascending into heaven, he assumes his position that he had beforehand, which is the Son of God, glorious and majestic. And this picture of the journey of Jesus is a picture that follows the same pattern that we've talked about on several occasions in the past. The path of the hero who is called to a particular task, to a particular, to a particular commission. The hero hears that, recognizes the cost that it will be, the difficulties that they may face, and in that, they take on the challenge. And in the midst of that challenge, it often leads to a confrontation with death. And of course, in the person of Jesus, does result in death. But on the other side of the challenge, there is victory and the completion of the journey. Now, the completion of the journey has two elements to it. And this is something that is seen in all of the narrative structures of the New Testament and is seen in all of the stories of the ancient world and the modern world where we're seeking to understand what life's about. We tell stories about people and we say, well, they, they were like this and then they faced this challenge and then they overcame that challenge and there was this great victory and they did these amazing things on the back end of the challenge. All of these stories, all of these, all of these ways of telling the story of life are called the hero's journey. Now, when the victory is won, in the stories of Scripture and in the stories of the ancient world, the hero, female or male, takes the spoils of victory, takes all of the benefits and blessings of victory, and shares them with everyone else. Now, the world that they were in, of course, is a world dominated by Rome. Paul is under house arrest and is beginning to evangelize the household of Caesar. We'll see that at the, end of the, at the end of the letter. So it's Caesar who defines and dominates the world in which they're in. What happens when a general comes back from a battle and then is elevated to the position of emperor and therefore the, uh, the Caesar that's my phone that's my watch talking to me isn't it weird they do that what, what happens is they have a triumph now sometimes they'll, they'll build big arches 
through which they through which they marched. So Titus, uh, one of the one of the great emperors, he built a, an arch still there today in Rome. It's called Titus's Arch, as you would imagine, and uh, everybody came through that arch. In uh, in Paris, there is the Arc de Triomphe, picking up the idea of the the Roman world where when victory is won you have an arch that you walk through and this is what happened with the with the great leaders of Rome they would come back from victory and in that victory I'm sorry about that I've obviously upset the child in that victory the the victor would come back and they would have lots of gold and silver they'd melt it down they would make that gold and silver into coins on which they placed their image and that became what we call currency, money. That's where it came from. So Marius, the uncle of Julius Caesar, he came, he came back, he was one of the first guys to do this. He came back from a, a great campaign, comes back with all kinds of gold and silver. He, he stamps out these coins in the mint there in, in, in Rome. He puts his image on one side and then a symbol of the victory on the other side. And as he is on his triumphal march through Rome, he has a huge chest in front of him and he and the soldiers who are with him throw the coins to the crowd. They throw the coins to the crowd, and as they throw the coins to the crowd, the coinage is a sharing in the victory, and you know whose victory it was because the face of the victor is on the coin. And it's solid gold or solid silver, and so it's worth a lot, and so people use this as money. Everybody with me? So these are the pictures that are in people's minds when they're singing and when they're saying things like this. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. They have this picture of triumph and victory. Now, this is where it gets interesting. I want you, if you've got your Bible in front of you, to go back a few pages to another letter that was written during this time. And it's uh, Ephesians. It's just the, the book right before it. This is getting really fun now at this point, so it's really important that you, you do this with me. So go back to Ephesians chapter 4, and um, I'm going to read from, I think, verse 4. Let me have a look. So this is Paul writing at kind of the same time to a church in Asia Minor and to other churches near this church and it's been given the title, The Letter to the Ephesians. There is one body and one spirit just as you were called to one hope. When you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it this is why it says when he ascended on high 
He took many captives and gave gifts to his people. Remember the picture? The victorious general returning. Of course, there are captives in the trail of victory, but gave gifts to people. So what are people imagining at that point? They're thinking of the victor sharing the spoils of war, and they've got this picture of sharing the spoils of war and getting something that has the identity of the victor in the gift that they're given. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So Christ gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith, in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Okay. So, Jesus is our victor. He wins the victory on the cross over sin and death and demonstrates that in his resurrection. And then as he ascends into heaven, he shares the spoils of war. And those spoils of war carry his identity. Okay. To every person that is in the one body that has a singular faith and has the one spirit and the one baptism to identify them as part of that one body, everybody in that one body receives a gift of victory from Jesus. He's like the conquering general and he has taken the gifts of his life that bear the image of his identity and he's given them to you. Jesus was the first apostle. How do we know that? Because he was sent from heaven. Apostle means sent. Jesus is the first apostle. He's sent from heaven to do the work of God. Jesus is the first prophet. How do we know that? Because he speaks God's word. Jesus is the first evangelist. How do we know that? Because the first words from the voice of Jesus are good news. Jesus is the first shepherd, first pastor. It's the same word. Why? How do we know that? Because he says, I am the good shepherd. And I'm leading the sheep and I'm looking for the sheep that are lost. And he's the first teacher. How do we know that? Because everybody who knew him called him rabbi, which means teacher, because he was teaching them the way of God. What Jesus has done in his death and resurrection and in his ascension has taken the spoils of war, which means that you and I are able to share in the bounty of God and he has given us his ministry. There's one body, and it's the, it's the body of Jesus. And the one body has all of the ministry of Jesus. Because it's the body of Christ. So the body of Christ 
is supposed to reflect the person of Christ and the ministry of Christ. And the way that he's doing that is that he's giving to us a way for us to function like him as we share with one another. So he's made some of us to be apostles. What does that mean? It means that you have this compulsion to go and do the thing that God has called you to do. You feel like you're a sent one. He's given some of you, some of us, the calling to be prophetic. Lots of those people come on Tuesday nights and in the prayer team because they have a deep desire to communicate with God so that they speak to him and they hear what it is that he's saying. Some of us are called to be evangelists because we have this deep, deep desire to share the good news with people who've never heard it. Some of us are pastors, are shepherds because we look at the people and we say, they need to be cared for, they need to be, they need to be looked after, we need to show compassion and we need to bring people into the kindness of God. Some people are called to be teachers because they're called to work with the word and share it with others, setting them free because it's the truth that sets you free. And you say, well, that sounds amazing. Is that me? Yeah, it's you. Everyone in this room is one of the five. Now, some of you have read the Bible before and you think, well, there are other gifts that are talked about in the, in the New Testament. Well, the other gifts in the New Testament are the tools of those five professions. The apostle, the prophet, the evangelist, the pastor, and the teacher, they need tools to get the job done. What kind of tools do they need? Well, they need tools of insight. They need tools of knowledge. They need tools of healing. They need tools of communication. They need tools of connecting them in their worship life to God. There's all kinds of tools that they need. And so the apostle may have a very similar tool bag to the prophet, but they're doing a different job. The plumber may come to your house and he may have a very similar tool bag to a carpenter. But they're doing a different job. Okay. So what's the, what's the thing for us? Well, here's the thing. If each of us are called to fulfill one of those roles, are we doing it for our own benefit, for our own glory, so that we get recognition from others? Or are we doing it like Jesus? That's the question. So now that you've heard that, let me read to you the passage that we have for today again. And then let's have a moment of quiet, and I'll put the microphones out. We'll have a moment of quiet, and you can ask and comment anything. You can tell me I'm completely mad and I'm a heretic. That's fine. I've heard that lots. This, um, this particular way of understanding this passage here in Ephesians 4 is a fairly new way. And when I first taught, taught about it and taught people about it and wrote about it 30 years ago, yes, I was 15. Um, when I was writing it 30 years ago, people were lighting torches and sharpening pitchforks. Now, lots and lots of scholars and lots and lots of teachers believe that this is actually what the passage is saying. So more and more people are coming around to this idea that the one body 
is one people that represents the one ministry of Jesus expressed in five ways. Let me read to you the passage from Philippians chapter 2 again. See what it says to you. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. By taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Let's have a moment just to be quiet. I'll put the microphones out. Just ask the Lord now, what is he highlighting to you from what you've heard this morning? What we're thinking. Just indicate to me, first of all, anybody got a comment or a question to get us started today? Yeah, there's one there. And is there one over this side? Yeah. Okay, so why don't you come down, those two guys there, and find the microphone. And the first one to get there is the one to start talking. Tell us your name. And uh, let's uh, just hear what it is that you're, you're feeling. So you might have to, if you squeeze that one at the bottom there, like that, you, there you go, got it. Hi, I'm Nate. Um, so I was reading this in the ESV, and verse 6 it says, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Yeah. Which I feel like kind of messes with my understanding of the Trinity, whereas your version was like, he could, but he chose not to. So can, yeah. I don't know which one is closer to the original text? Maybe you have some insight there. Yeah, so um, that's a great question, Nate. So does everybody hear what Nate was saying there? So Nate's saying that the, the Son of God, who we know as Jesus, because of course, before he becomes Jesus, he's just the Son of God. When I say just the Son, you know what I mean. So, so the Son of God is made human, and we know him as Jesus Christ. And what Nate is saying here is, he chose not to take advantage of the fact that, that he was the Son of God. Now, what it sounds like when you, when you look at it in Nate's is that, is that 
it's as though his divinity and taking advantage of his divinity is something that he can grasp at the expense of the other members of the Trinity. That's what it sounds like. Actually, when you look at the actual way the passage is written, what it means is, because Paul is saying, this is about your relationship with everyone else, and what I want you to do is to understand how Jesus related to other human beings. The thing about grasping is not about the other members of the Trinity, but the way that the text is balanced indicates that Jesus is saying, I know I'm the Son of God, I'm not giving that up, but I'm not going to use that as a lever in my work with other human beings. Does that make sense? That's as I understand it in the text. Tell us who you are and what is your question. My name's Eric, and actually I was pretty much right where you're at, but yeah. um, in emptying himself out, he yeah. only sought God. He didn't seek his own knowledge. He didn't seek his own truth. He sought God. Yeah. So how much more of an example do we need? Yeah. So this is a huge, hugely important thing, and it kind of connects with what Nate's saying. The word, the word for emptying out, self-emptying, is the Greek word kenoo. Everybody say kenoo. It's not a thing that you go to the bar and then you get, you know, you sign up and then you get the money for it. It's not that thing. It's, I think that's keno, isn't it? I've, I've seen the sign. I've never played it. I've no idea what it is. Honestly. Um, but anyway, so there's, so there's Jesus. He is the Son of God. He is being called by the Father to go and do a work but he's not going to use his status as the Son of God as something that he's going to hang on to and use as a lever in getting people to listen to him. So he's not going to use his divinity as a means of getting people to listen or to hear him. He's going to use his humble relationship with God demonstrating to us what it means to be a human being in relation to God, receiving from God the things that the people around us need and using us as the conduit by which he gives those things to other people. And the point is this. Jesus chooses to empty himself and what that means is he chooses not to rely upon what would be his own capacity as the Son of God. He doesn't use his own intelligence as the Son of God. He doesn't use his influence or charisma as the Son of God. He chooses to empty himself of that so that he becomes an empty vessel in which God is able to pour everything that the world needs that his life will touch. So here's the thing. If our mindset should be the same as Jesus, the question is this, to what degree are we able to step away from our own agendas, step away from our own capacity to influence, step away from our ability to use with charisma or intelligence, a way of convincing other people to listen to us? To what degree can we say, 
God, it's you that needs to speak to people. God, it's you that needs to change people. God, it's you that needs to move in people. And so I want to give you space to use me so that you can do that for them. Does that make sense? Cool. This is fun. Anybody else? Any other? Right there. Mike? Yeah, come and tell us who you are. And then James, you tell us who you are, even though I've just told him who you are. Yep. Uh, yeah, I'm Mike. Um, the thing that occurred to me as, as I've been saved since I was 22, that over the years we've been challenged to what is your gift? Yeah. What, what, what tool are you best in or what tools do you use? And it occurred to me in this statement when it says he didn't use what he knew he had to an advantage. So that when you have a gifting, it's not like taking your modeling where you're a, a plumber or an electrician, you come to a site with certain tools and you, with your knowledge, learn how to apply those tools. It is not that at all because you empty yourself of your aptitude, your ability, your training, your whatever you've learned, your skill set, and you say, Lord, move through me and give me the opportunity and you tell me which tool to work through, yeah. you know, to apply. Yeah. It, it, is, it is a total, it flips it. It's not yeah. that you are in control of these things God gives you. It's yeah. that you want him to control through you yeah. because you don't know what the need is. Yeah. And so, it, it's just, it's beautiful how he gives us all these yeah. gifts. So, so that's a really good point. So, so here's the thing. When you look at other passages in the New Testament that talk about gifting, the, the way, so say 1 Corinthians chapter 12, many of you have read that. The way that, it, the, way that the, the passage explains things is that, is that the gift is made manifest in the life of a believer and is made manifest in the people of God as they worship and as they look to the Lord for what it is that he wants to do. So again, if we're thinking about Jesus and we're thinking about ourselves, what did Jesus say he did? Well, in John chapter 5, verse 19, he says, he only did what he saw the Father doing. So what Jesus is doing is he's looking around. He's, a, he's become a human being. He's not using his omniscience. He's not using his omnipotence. So he's not using his, his knowledge of everything. He's not using his power. He's using his capacity simply to see what it is that God's doing and so he's looking for reactions in people he's looking for light in people's eyes he's looking for a way in which a person is responding to the things that he's sharing and as he's doing that he's seeing what it is that God is doing and he's going to step into that so if you're out there and you're functioning with people maybe in your in your community on mission your house church and there's somebody in your group that is saying I need prayer for this situation what you don't do at that point is say let's all sing a song what you don't do at that point is well I've got a really good message I just want to share before what you do at that point is you say, okay, God, what, 
are you doing right now? How do you want to meet this person's need? And then you allow God to use you as the conduit by which he will meet that need. Hello, James. Um, my wife uh, encouraged me that this was probably well formulated enough. I should. Um, so I, I think I'm really struck by the humility of Jesus. Um, it, it strikes me that I'm not close to what he's got yet. Well, I, I think I'm a, a relatively savvy person, and um, and he's obviously extremely savvy and says, "Well, I'll I'll lay all of that down," and it says. And he empties himself and all of this. And then therefore, so because he did that, God raises him up and gives him these spoils of war and this victory yeah. and then goes on to this completion. And his spoils of war then impacts us, right? And so um, when I think about you and you've been through a challenge, a call and a challenge and you're, um, you, I, I think you've seen various levels of completion already, but actually the spoils of what you've been through is what's impacting us today, right? Yeah. And so I think about in my life, I'm challenged to think, what could I be bringing? That, what are the spoils that could or are already at some levels of completion in my life? What's the further kind of spoils I could be bringing to everyone if only yeah. I could lay down my thoughts of how mm. well I could do this? And God, yeah. if you let me just get the thing done, I'll bring the spoils. Does so, that make sense? That's a brilliant point. So say you're a mother and now your kids are adults. Yeah? So that's a calling. Are there any challenges about being a mother? I mean, I'm a man. I don't think there are any, really. As far as I could tell, it just seems like a breeze. Is that true? It's just easy, isn't it? I mean, childbirth, that's painless, isn't it? And then, I mean, isn't it easy? Okay, all right. So the calling is followed by a challenge. And then, and I know all you, your, your kids are saying, They'd never want me to leave the home. I know they never want me. And you're kind of going, oh yeah, I really do want you. We're actually getting the brass band to lead you out. <laughs> but, but here's the thing. You've got to the place of completion in raising your children. And now you have the exalted position of being the parent of an adult child. You've got something to share with somebody. What about that young mother who's struggling with breastfeeding? That young mother that's struggling with the balance of sleep and, and work? What about that young mother that's trying to deal with potty training whilst at the same time dealing with the other child in her house, which is her husband? I mean... Did I say that out loud? I'm sure I shouldn't have said that out loud. But you know what I'm, you, you know what I'm saying. And, and there are people out there and they're in the midst of the valley. They're in the midst of the valley. And you've come to this place of completion and now you've got some spoils of war to share. Yeah? But you don't walk around with a sign saying, I'm the parent of an adult child ask me any question you're not doing that you're not even thinking about that 
You're allowing God to use you in the circumstances. You're talking to people at work. You're talking to people at the coffee shop. You're talking to people in your, in your community here at Apex. And as you're talking, you're able to share the benefits and blessings of your victories. Yeah? Take that and apply it to everything else in your life. It's enormously, enormously helpful to know that as we go through these journeys, there will be a sense of completion and victory and we will be able to share the spoils of war. Isn't that exciting? So if you're a teenager and you're going through the challenge of having to do, you know, school work, college work, you're having to fulfill assignments, you're having to read books, you're trying... And then you get to the end of it and you graduate. There's somebody somewhere who probably needs encouragement in the midst of their valley right now. You didn't think that every time you did an assignment, you were moving through the hero's journey towards a completion in your own life that can be a blessing and a benefit to other people, did you? But this is the thing, you see. If our mindset is the mindset of Jesus, then all of the journeys we've been on can be a blessing and a benefit to other people. Anybody prepared to say amen to that? Amen. The journeys that we've been on, all of those interlacing, layered journeys of our life, when we've overcome bias, overcome prejudice, overcome overcome racism, overcome physical maladies, overcome relational conflict and relational difficulties. All of those journeys, every single one of them, is a journey where we can adopt the mindset of Jesus, follow his pattern of presenting ourselves as a servant, which means that we're available, and then God is able to use us to bring a blessing and a benefit to other people. Is that good? It's exciting, this passage, isn't it? Here's the final thought that I want you to think about. Are you expecting exaltation anytime soon? Because the passage says, the passage says, your mindset should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. So Jesus didn't stay in the valley. Jesus experienced resurrection, ascension, and exaltation. And it was in the place of exaltation that of course, he has to be available to share all of the gifts that he's been, that he's been given as part, of his, as part of his victory. See, one of the reasons why, one of the reasons why we don't share with others as liberally as we could is that we're not looking for the exaltation, the blessing the abundance of God being poured out on us as we go through our journey because we're always looking back to the valley and we're not looking forward to the mountaintop. 
We're always looking back to the valley and what it is that we've lost. We're always looking back to the valley and what it is that we had to give up. We're always looking back to the valley and the wounds and the scars that perhaps we still carry. And because of that, we don't see that the path has opened up towards the mountaintop and exaltation and victory and blessing which we can share with other people. Our life is defined by the valley and not by the mountaintop. There is both a valley and a mountaintop. Don't get me wrong, I don't think we live on the mountaintops. We have to go through the valleys, but the valley leads to the mountaintop. Are you expecting victory? Are you expecting exaltation? Are you expecting abundance in your life? Especially if you've known scarcity. Are you expecting victory? Especially if you've known battle. Are you expecting breakthrough? Especially if you've known inner conflict and difficulty. Are you expecting it? Your mindset, my mindset, should be the same as Christ Jesus. This was the journey he went on. And God gave him the victory that he could share with others. Is there an amen in the house? Let's pray.